Hey, Nate Freeman. Ben, what's going on? Greetings from the heart of Manhattan. Yeah, you are. You're in the beating downtown heart of Manhattan. Although I hear you are really in the heart of the media elite. Yesterday, you visited your new office. True or false? I did. I went to uh, One World Trade Center, the global headquarters of Condé Nast for the first time yesterday. Uh, It was fantastic, even though it was a little bit empty. Just being in the Vanity Fair offices was nice. I did a little tour of the 25th floor, home to Vogue and GQ. I went up to the Condé corporate offices on the 34th floor. I don't know if this shit is supposed to be public, but whatever, it's fine. Yeah, it's that's cool. what, no, that's as, as we tell our guests, no one's listening. It's no all good, right. yeah, but yeah, very yeah. cool. You're um, back in New York. You were, I believe, you are uh, into one back to one of your one of your ancestral homelands at the weekend yeah. for some uh, non art related travel. Uh, it was extremely non art related uh, down in Durham, North Carolina, where I was visiting my college town. Though I did take a tour of the Nasher, which is the art museum at Duke, and the really fabulous art museum. Uh, uh, Trevor Schumacher took some time out of his busy schedule to give me a nice little tour of what they have up, which is fabulous. Oh, that's cool. Did any of your compatriots uh, uh, come with you or was everyone still sleeping it off? I, I had an entourage. That's true. I, I don't want to go into too much detail about what exactly this entourage was doing down in Durham with me, but uh, we did go to the Nashville. I can no, offer that. Listen, one. I'm an art advisor. I, I, I appreciate that discretion is an important part of our jobs, both of us in different ways, and I would never press for any additional details. No, no, and that's about all you're going to get. But shout out to Trevor and uh, his team, including Wendy uh, and Marshall, uh, just really the best in the business. If you're ever in the Durham area, you have to visit the Nashville. Yeah, I mean, you might not get a private tour. You might not be the, no, a donor, a donor at the level of, of Nate Freeman and the Freeman <laughs> Family Foundation, but still. I know. I'm not on the board yet, unlike uh, a few of our buddies, but, yeah, but well, it takes time. The Duke thing is strong. I mean, I like to make fun. There's a lot of art world Duke crossover. It surprises there, me. There each truly and every time. is. Yeah, um, I mean, there's there's some stuff you might not even know about. Like, and how, Duke, how's the... the How's the vibe in New York City? You uh, Oh, did, it's fabulous. Did you hit a little Russian samovar last night, maybe? I did. I, I drank some uh, cucumber flavor vodka uh, for a little soiree uh, for, for a mutual friend of ours. Love uh, the flavored vodka there. Yeah. Uh, last time I was there about a month ago, we ordered the pepper vodka, uh, which the, the, the hot pepper, know, the spicy one. Oh, yeah. Oh, it goes, the, it's, that's a tough one. That's a tough it's one. Tough. I, I love the intention. Love the flavor. vodka. I'm not even a vodka guy myself. Uh, like I, I rarely but, ever drink when in Rome. But one in, yeah, one in Moscow, <laughs> or in this case, a little little facsimile of it. Um, the Samovar makes some really delicious uh, uh, herbal-infused vodkas. And the one that I was drinking last night, the cucumber, is probably my favorite, along with the horseradish, which is... Uh, I, the horseradish cool. is my favorite. I also enjoy the dill. Um, dill it's is a, great. Dill's great. It's a great place. The hot pepper is too spicy. It's, uh, it's really, it's undrinkable. Uh, uh, and they're back up and running down there, or up there, oh, depending oh God, on where you yeah. live. Oh, great restaurant. It's actually it's it's expensive, but actually a tremendous deal. You get a little bit of theater with your night out on the totally. town. There's a, there's a piano player, a great bass player. And guess who showed up? One of, one of the best sort of like uh, micro celebrities you can see out and about in New York City. Ooh, uh, Pat Kiernan. Uh, not quite. Uh, I don't Come know. On, you can get it. You can get it. Uh, it uh, not Pat Keenan, um, the weather girl from Channel 4. No, also good. No, Chris Noth, a.k.a. Mr. Big. Oh, that's more oh. than a micro celebrity. That counts as a celebrity. My I friend. know. I know. And then, yeah, he was great. He was yucking it up with the whole crew. He's just there with some friends. But, you know, at the same bar, it's all family, Mr. Baby, Big you know? himself. I mean, Mr. that's Big a great himself. sighting into that, into that. I know. 
And uh, what's I going know. on in this world we call art? There's fucking there's pumpkins floating in the ocean and all sorts of crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, you love happening. to see it. Uh, I did really appreciate. It. <laughs> I mean, like as satisfying as it was to see one of those pumpkins in the water, the meme of that horrific Thomas Heatherick sculpture. You must have seen this meme, right? Yeah, yeah of course. Of yeah, course. yeah, that just just give me give me warm and fuzzies. Yeah, oh, which a meme, which was it was mimicking the the pumpkin, which is that terrible uh, shawarma like vessel that's become oh, a suicide God. magnet. Truly, one of the most heinous. Uh, we we can't call it our heinous. Uh, things created in the past decade to Thomas Heatherwick. If you are listening, truly go fuck yourself. You know, get out of town, dude. The, that terrible lantern building that's going up in Chelsea is also a hideous piece of architecture. I fucking hate Thomas Heatherwick. He's maybe My just Lord. not a very good architect. Oh God, I wish he could just like you know. I don't. I don't wish ill upon people, but if he could just stop making things, it would be awesome. You know, I, I wish nothing but the best for his personal health, oh, and yes, mental, mental and physical, but. But stop making work. People, no, actually, no, it's not his fault. Stop funding it. Rich people, yeah. get some fucking taste. Yeah, exactly. Wow, that felt great. Um, yeah, I'm glad I got that out there. Um, in, uh, in speaking of rich people, um, a lot yeah. of people, you and I chose not to go to Aspen this year for the uh, 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 for the museum benefit. What do we they call were, it? We were going to. We were, we were talking about it, uh, but it didn't work with our schedule. I mean, it's a, but, it's a, um, it's a, it seems like Aspen has overtaken the Hamptons this summer as the site of where the art world is going down a little bit. So many galleries. Um, you know, I, you know, there's a ton, yeah, a ton of people out there, you know, we've noted on many occasions and I've written about it, but it, yeah, it really did seem like critical mass the last week. My Lord, everyone was there. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it, well, you know, I've spent a, a fair amount of time. I think we spoke with Meredith about this one of our mini pods. We did some pop-up exhibitions there. So I spent a couple summers there. It is really one of those places where it's like, I think like Monaco is it's only billionaires. I mean, yeah. it's only the mega, mega ultra, ultra high net worth mm-hmm. individuals, which makes for like a weird vibe. I got to be honest, totally. living there, not being one of them, but kind of, you know, living uh, uh, on their secondhand goods was. Um, yeah, it's a bit strange. And there's I'm not sure if you read this in the in New York magazines, the Lord Van Stratton's, uh Yeah, pretty fantastic, fantastic, yeah. fantastic. Very well reported article. I, about, I, I, yeah, I read it with a little bit of envy. You know, that's that's a good story. You know? Yeah, I was I was thinking this feels like a real Nate like story. Um, I know. But, yeah. uh, she, you know, and, and so the met, so the, the the easy entry point is about Aspen as the site of all this art, you know, benefits, galas, you know, new new museum leadership, both at the museum and at the um, uh, Anderson Ranch um, and all these new galleries. So that's like the first level of the article. But if you peel back the oven onion, she's really looking at race in Aspen, mm-hmm. obviously about, you know, all these um black artists, artists of color who are going there doing stuff at Anderson Ranch, being honored at the galas, having shows at the museum and how weird that is. And considering it's a it's a it's a very, very white town, especially a town that is, you know, oh, yeah. deep seated connections to the Latino population, which services a lot of the industry there, as well as obviously mm-hmm. um, uh, native lands. And, and and Colorado has a lot of uh, a lot of native people still there that have been right. pushed off. So there's mm-hmm. obviously that dichotomy. But I think what she's talking about, this notion of people engaging culture, um, uh, especially collectors engaging by collecting the work of black artists and sometimes walking into galleries and listing the other black artists they already collect. I think that actually says something more broadly about the art market, um, certainly here in America right now. So I think it's a really, really well done, well done article. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely read it. It's uh yeah, truly some chilling stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, just people just trying to, you know, kind of cloak themselves and kind of, uh, you know, well, you know, well, after, you know, after last summer is kind of, you know, uh, you know, countrywide national realization about kind of uh, racial inequities. I mean, or, or 
it was a realization to some people those those paying attention it should have been a realization too but this kind of collector class this billionaire class kind of really being like oh well i want to i want to you know i don't want to make any systematic change but i'd like to collect some black artists yeah exactly all, all the better if it's going to be worth more after i buy it um, exactly. so anyway very very interesting article that was i think the best thing i read um obviously other than the meme of the heatherwick sculpture uh-huh. um and I just caught this today. I didn't realize that Stefan Kalmar, uh, oh, yeah. a friend of ours, is stepping down from the close, ICA. Close of ours. I, yeah, mean, I, remember, you know, I remember a really fun evening in Paris with um, oh, yeah. a past guest with, with on the pod, Robert Sheffield, R- R- Robert Sheffield uh, mm-hmm. with Stefan. That was that was think, to, um, some, to some pretty friend, crazy places. Yeah. Friend of the pod, Lucas Casso, was along for the ride as well. Okay, I, okay, I recall. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, we went we went bar hopping with Rob. Always a uh, uh, a fun experience. And then when Stefan joined, I think it just got a little nuttier. Yeah, but uh, but he's he's a truly truly sweet, intelligent uh, guy. And his tenure at the ICA has been lovely. I think he just wants to, like he said, uh, pass it off to a new generation. You know, museums are only as fresh and invigorated as you know their uh, their leadership and. and you know, I hope he goes on to something else cool because he is a great mind. But maybe that's a good idea for the ICA to get some some new leadership. Yeah, no, I mean, he he said I think he was on, goes on the record of saying that you know museum leaders should you know have a have a set fixed amount of time, like a term limit, kind of to what they do. But he also uh, you know feels as though London maybe post Brexit is not a great place for art and culture. That too, yeah, which is uh, you know an unfortunate thing to hear. You know, I I've been in London in years now, and and I, I wanted to sort of. You know, withhold any judgment until I'm there in person because you know I don't know exactly what it's like there right now. Um, you know, post COVID, post Brexit, but yeah, maybe it is an isolating place. Dude, shipping stuff out of London not super easy right now. Um, no, or, or or into London from from Europe. Um, uh, maybe those kinks got worked out, but like I'm trying to get something very rapidly from from there to the U.S. and it's a uh, it's been all of my morning and it's a little bit stressful. Yeah. I feel God, I can't, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Well, we'll hopefully see it for ourselves in two months. You know, barring yeah, any. I, 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 have a, I, have, I have a plane ticket that takes oh, me to what? London for a few days en route to uh en route to Basel, oh, to Basel. for the That's fair. Right. Yeah. I, yeah. I but you know there was a uh, I I think in your former um in your former publication art news is that what it's called whatever it's called art art net mm-hmm. art net excuse me um yeah, yeah. about kind of what the um kind of what you're going to need to to bring in order to actually get into the basel fair a little servicey journalism it was behind the pain paywall shout out once again <laughs> to our sponsor the pocket app um yeah they're not paying me any money yet but i feel like they should <laughs> um and, but, uh, uh, what, what do you have to bring just a vax card Get your bring your uh, vax card or a recent yeah. PCR test. They're not requiring a yeah. vaccine, okay. um, but you know, recent PCR proof that you've had COVID um, or your card. The specifics of that, exactly what you need to bring, is um, is is tough. Um, the, yeah. the, only, the only thing that, that could get kind of weird is you know we're not the, the U.S. Well, Europe is open to travelers from the U.S. currently um, with certain provisos. We are still not open even to vaccinated travelers um, from Europe coming here. And there is some talk that the EU might strike back at us. I'm not sure if their economy can handle that, especially Southern Europe needs the tourists. But um, mm-hmm. that is something to watch. Um, I got my hotel. It's non-refundable. I got my ticket. I presume well, it's well, Switzerland and, and England, not in the EU. So. Yeah, no. So I could I could hop between the two, perchance. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not I'm not going to England. I'm going straight to, to Zurich, uh, which I was looking at some shows that are opening. There's going to be some exciting stuff. Yeah, in what is opening? I haven't I haven't even begun to do well, any of my research as of yet. Honestly, I did very little. But uh, Simone Lee is opening at Hauser and Verth, which I think is her first show with the gallery. That might Germany. be a big deal. Oh, yeah. Very big deal. 
Uh, there's a Stephen Shearer show at uh, Ava, Ava Press and Hoover. Stephen, one of my favorite all-time artists. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. not not as loved by the market as it is by me, but, but, like but an incredible it's, it's artist. Gonna, it's going to be great. It's going to be fa- a fabulous show. And then beyond that, I'm not entirely sure what, what's happening. But I'm sure there's another great stuff. And that right there, two blockbuster shows. So yeah, I'm gonna. I think we, so we spoke about this. I'm gonna pop in Saturday morning from London. Yeah. If things go according to plan. We'll have all day yep. Saturday and Sunday. I know there are different parties. I'm gonna book a table at uh, at at uh, Cronin Holla, both Saturday, Saturday and Sunday night. Oh, okay. Well, I'll join you for one of those. Maybe I think Saturday some. night is the night is the night to go. I'm gonna, you know. But there's so many dinners and stuff. There's the Preston Hoover dinner. There's probably a Hauser dinner. I don't know. Yeah, I guess you're right. Well, maybe Sunday's the day to go. I don't know. I just want to yeah. eat. I, I want to eat schnitzel uh, and maybe you baby can, chickens as much as possible. I would maybe like, I'll pop in before Maya's shindig on Sunday. Actually, and, I don't and, even know if I'm going to. I mean, did you get your invite? <laughs> I mean, me either. No. I never have. Hey, Maya, come on. We're pretty fun. Yeah, um, I mean, we are, there, yeah, we really should get, you know, maybe it's a little early. It's and we get up. into this, you know, we get a great interview coming up with Sarah Friedlander from Christie's. Oh, my just God. And Fuego. She's so interview. smart. And so we're going to talk about the talk about the parish during that. But you're coming into town when are you coming here Friday night. I think we're going to not come until Saturday morning okay. uh, now, but, you know, stay through uh, late on Sunday to get you know a feel for everything going on out there. But yeah, we're coming in Saturday going to hang out with some friends during the day and then, yeah, go to the parish gala, which I'm very excited about. Um, sounds good. Yeah. If the weather's nice, let's go to the beach or hang out at a pool on Saturday. Absolutely. But yeah, this is my first uh, art gala in almost two years, I think. Right. Yeah, I haven't done yeah. this in a while. Yeah. yeah I look mean, at that. none of these fucking Zoom galas. Thank God. Never attended one. Never will. <laughs> Didn't do oh many lectures Lord. either. Um, just no. uh, in, in art market news, just kind of coming across this transom late last night or this morning is that the, you, you, you get your ticket booked for Vegas yet? Oh, my God. It's so funny. I was uh, uh, as soon as I saw that, I texted Heather Harmon and I was like, I need need something more. I need a pinch of Vegas story. <laughs> 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 so and Heather, of course, came through. So, well, yeah, I mean, that that, uh, that that aligns with her, you know, with her needs as well. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, like right now, I'm I'm scheduled to fly back from Paris that day. Might have to change my flight Paris to Vegas. <laughs> Let's go. Oh, that's the evening of two by two in Dallas. It's I also the evening of two by two. That's correct. Wow, uh, I think I know where my butter bread is, but it's interesting. So this two by two, a Sotheby's sponsored event, decided to schedule this on the same wow. day. Wow, that uh, Charlie, you're really double dipping here. Yeah, yeah. Man. Well, the, the boy likes a little bit of celebrity. It seems like. I mean, no, but this could be a huge deal. I mean, like you know. They're selling the Picassos from the restaurant Picasso. Like, what's yeah. going to be there anymore? <laughs> like, well, you know, and I wonder how much of a play as the world. Uh, so, if those who don't know, um, uh, uh, Sotheby's oh, yeah. is selling, you know, up to a hundred million dollars worth of Picassos, um, uh, in Las Vegas, uh, all coming from the collection uh, of the Bellagio, right? Uh, yes. Uh, so the backstory is uh, when Steve Wynn owned the Bellagio. He uh, was in a real uh, frenzied buying state and bought a bunch of Picassos and decided to open a restaurant in the Bellagio called Picasso that had a bunch of Picassos in it. And like, it's it's actually kind of lit. what could be it's more like Vegas kind of, than that, really? It's kind of really sweet. There's a great have, have you view. been there? Oh, yeah, I've been to Picasso. And there's a great view of the fountain. So like you're just surrounded by like 30 mil Picassos watching the greatest fountain on Earth, probably outside of the Trevi in Rome, the Bellagio fountain. Just go up like every like. 15 I feel like minutes. there's a fountain it's, in Abu Dhabi that might, that might be upset yeah, with you yeah, right yeah, now. I don't know. But like, like it's really fucking lit. Like, like this restaurant just whips ass. It's awesome. Like, you know, corny as hell. So Vegas. You love so it. America, really. But I know. I, yeah. I, I wonder if part of this play potentially is for you know, as the U.S. opens up, you know, 
uh, the Asian market has always loved Las Vegas, even with Macau oh. and other gambling centers there. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's been a huge part, a, a huge segment of the Vegas gambling market for, you know, and tourism market for the last 25 years. I wonder if there and I would expect that more than a handful of the bidders could come from that part of the world for this type Absolutely. of trophy picture. So I wonder mm-hmm. if there's some uh, other than the narrative uh, consulates, if there's some other consulates, uh, you know, and, and commonalities and why they're choosing to sell these there. Totally. I mean, Honestly, some of the stuff that auction houses are doing today perplexes me to no end and even frustrates me. This seems like a lot of fun and everyone wins. So mazel to Charlie. Uh-huh. And everyone wins. It. Get it? Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. I, I, I got to be in Dallas that night. I'm not going to make it. I'm now realizing that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I was thinking that would be a fun junket. I know. I know. We'll see if I can pull it off. It seems like a little 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 bit of a high wire act, but we'll see. No, you know, you're going to be you're going to be in the honeymoon phase of your life. So, you know, don't want to be away yeah, too much. Also um, true. That is it for me. I want to leave plenty of time for this great kind yes. of long interview. Stay with Sarah Friedland. Sarah. Honestly, she kind of reveals all about what the, where the market is right now. So if you miss this, you're kind of. Yeah, you got to you got to listen closely, but she really knows what she's talking about. So really you'll be playing with house money if you listen to her. We are so thrilled to be joined by our friend, our true friend. One of my favorite people in the art world. Wow. Hi, Bar. Sarah Freelander. It's What's me, going on, Sarah, Sarah Freelander. Freelander. It's you here live on Nota Bene. What and unlike asking? most of our listeners or ourselves, Sarah is in her office in Rockefeller Center at Christie's, the auction house. What's going on, Sarah? How's life? I mean, I feel like I'm the only one in Midtown right now who is sitting in an office. I shouldn't I at, say that. Actually, a lot of my team is in the office today. I was in the office yesterday and it was very empty. I even explored the Vogue floor, which apparently was supposed to be packed, but it was not packed. Well, Vogue I think the, 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 Septem- the September issue is probably in the bag already. Oh, it's on the cover. Yeah. It's on the cover. It's a variety of, of, of Vogue. It's a variety of models shot at One World Trade Center in the Vogue offices that I was hanging out in yesterday. Oh, it's, back to work. Looks great. It looks great. Yeah. Nate, do you basically work for Anna Winter now? No. Because I work for Radhika Jones. Radhika well, but she's a, isn't isn't Anna though the creative director of Conde yes. Nast like so overarching? Yes. Anna signs my checks. She approves my foreign travel. Yes. She has no uh, idea who you are, does she? Uh, I saw her briefly yesterday, but she was in a Did you get a hello, Nate? <laughs> Will no, you she- get invited to the Met Ball? Uh, if I'm reporting on it, which I might be, <laughs> but uh, not a formal Anna approved invite now. Mm. We're going to get you a tux anyway, Nate. You need you need a, you need a tux. Maybe that'll be my wedding gift to you. Is I'll take you to my tailor and get you a proper evening attire. That sounds great. I, very I actually, well might I actually can't I can't afford that, but you know it's a nice <laughs> fantasy. Very generous. Next um, time we go to Hong Kong, you'll get me a tux. Yeah, that? I'm not sure if that's ever going to happen again for me. Um, right. But anyway, so as I said, Sarah Leonard, you are the the deputy chairperson, chairman of Christie's chairwoman, I think would be correct. It's it's listed on the site as chairman, which I found a little bit suspect, but Mm. old habits die hard. Indeed. Um, You've been at Christie's for a number of years. You had a little a little you took a leave for like you basically had a sabbatical for like a year and a half. But like, has this been your your main professional post collegiate and graduate school employer? Right. Yeah, it's That's crazy. A true auction house lifer. When I I think of Christie's, I'm I'm 37. It feels like I have 
some life left in me. Well, life or up, up until now in your professional <laughs> career. I think that's that's common usage of that phrase. Right. Yeah. Thus far, lifer. Yeah, I've been here. I've been here for uh, for a long time. Um, from afar, you appear to be extraordinarily good at it in a way that I frankly find a little bit intimidating. Um, I love that. That's oh, my, yeah. yeah my since I've known you, I've been a little bit intimidated by <laughs> yeah, you. Intimidating. And the more the more I learn about how this business works and the, and the auction business works, the more intimidating it is because um, you're both super fun. And I mean, sorry, uh, sorry, Ben, are yeah. we pretending that you did not work in an auction house? No, yeah, no, I did. Oh, I mean, is Phillips really no, counts as an auction Phillips. house? You know? Phillips is absolutely an auction house. They have a, a spiffy new building, too. Um, uh, is it that spiffy? One of the one of the more powerful, uh, in addition to yourself, women in the art world who was a longstanding auction house regular, both at Christie's and at Sotheby's, when she heard I took the job at Phillips, I'm not sure it was physically or just kind of verbally threw me against the wall and said, Benjamin, if you told me you wanted to work in an auction house, you could have worked at a real one. <laughs> Wasn't didn't I take you to lunch at MoMA? To- you know, you, you know, you were very pleasant yeah. and gracious and 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 gave me tips and tricks of the trade. Um, this person was being gracious in their own way. They just have a different approach to life. Um, so you, did you start out? I don't even know the answers. Did you start out like as a cataloger or an administrator of one no, of the sales? I mean, the, yeah, the first the first job I had was a sale administrator. I assisted like four different people, Martha Bayer, who very sadly just passed away, who was the sort of OG of the contemporary art world in the in the auction house. Um, and Jonathan Lieb, who's now mm-hmm. at David's Warner, at David's Warner, and also kind of Amy Capalazzo, which was also, you know, it was it was this sort of amazing time because everyone was at Christie's. It was Amy and Laura Paulson and mm-hmm. Brett Gorby and Robert Manley. And I feel like I basically just kind of worked for all of them for as long as they would let me. And then they stuck me down in the warehouse or I begged to be stuck in the warehouse so I could, you know, look at art and do the cataloging and stop, you know, submitting expense reports and all of the other important admin things that people do to make the ship kind of run. And then I took over you know, the first open sale, which is now called the post-order present sale, and then the day sale, then I left, then I came back, then the evening sale. So sort of a classic trajectory in many ways. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, you ran the evening sale for a full four seasons. How many seasons were yeah. you had the evening sale? Yeah. For years, not seasons, excuse me. Um, that's pretty crazy. That's an intense job. And you oversaw some of the biggest sales when the market was sort of at, not that it's not at its peak right now, but it was really frothy. Frothy. Yeah. Shall we say that's okay. Is that an approved? approved I like frothy. I like frothy. Um, I mean, and you know, you're also a force to be watched um, on the dais as you're bidding on the phone. Uh, I really enjoy, I think, I think one of the things I did take from the auction, from my experience, the auction house was really enjoying phone bidding and now watching people phone bid. And I really like Mm -hmm. to not critique, but I would kind of like reality television. It's a performative action now. They have you in like hair and makeup and costume. And I find people like, it's weird because I was always taught that it didn't really matter what you looked like. It just mattered, you know, what you said and how you acted. And then all of a sudden people are like, oh, my God, you looked you looked so beautiful up there. Or <laughs> my wonderful sister who would say things like, um, why did you choose to wear crushed velvet on like live television? Um, <laughs> That's kind of her job, though. I fortunate that I have like a, a good group of friends in the art world who have more expensive clothing than I do. And mm-hmm. I, I'm, I rely on them to help me sometimes. Um, 
I, I remember you definitely bidding, I forget how much, uh, on a Rauschenberg, I believe it was a combine for like north My of Lord. $80 million on the phone. I was yeah. there in the sale room. That was incredibly exciting. That, Do you was, Buddy, that was Buddy Mayer's painting. And yeah. that, you know, there are like not once in a lifetime, but I don't know, there are probably... I mean, up till this point in my career, there are probably five paintings that have transformed the way I think about art that kind of moved the market. And the Rauschenberg is 100% at the top of that list. It was an extraordinary painting. It was from an extraordinary collection. It went to an extraordinary home. Did everything it was supposed to do. Yeah. And you, and was that the most expensive, uh, at least monetary, most valuable work that you won on the phone? Mm. It didn't at go through auction. all my at au- at auction. Yeah, on the phone. Yeah, like mm-hmm. live. Ooh, what? Ooh, Ooh so leave, leaving, you leaving me do. something I can't ask about. A lot uh, of these... deals that got done where I'm not wearing crushed velvet. And um, well, these know. days, I mean, the the both the main houses or all three of the main houses, I should say, not to be catty, um, are really you know for five years, if not more, have been really focusing on secondary market private treaty transactions mm-hmm. in addition to what happens publicly in the room, as it appeals obviously to a lot of sellers to sell that way, and also a lot of buyers. Um, what percentage of your time or headspace these days is spent um, focusing on private sales as opposed to auctions? Or can you? is it really hard to delineate because one becomes the other and vice versa, depending on what's happening? Sometimes one becomes the other. I, you know, for a really long time, I was an auction girl. And that was what I knew and what I believed in. It was the most fun because you could have a whole team together. You made a whole pitch for something. You watched the market happen in real time on the phone. It was thrilling, whatever. Um, obviously, private sales, you know, I guess at the end of 2008, beginning of 2009 became a bigger kind of thing here, but it was never really my thing. And then I guess COVID happened and I was sitting in Woodstock with a newborn and realized that there was no auction machine for me to do anything with. I mean, our sales had been canceled. There were no, you know, you could put stuff online, but there was no like sale. And I, you know, I'm a deal maker. I, I connect people with pictures. That's what I like to do. And, and so it was almost out of necessity that it became, okay, I'm just going to sell things privately all day long. And it was on the one hand, very isolating and weird. And on the other hand, so awesome. Um, And I, I think that, you know, now we're in a place corporately where private sales are equally part of the conversation and, you know, we're opening up galleries in Aspen and Southampton and, you know, programming spaces everywhere and, you know, doing, you know, Grace Hardigan exhibitions. Um, So for me right now, it's, you know, it's, I would say it's kind of 50, 50, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're starting to get the same amount of joy and feeling as though you're connecting things that you used to only get in auction. So, um, I am really into things that I have control over. So the nice thing about private sales are you kind of have this nice, you know, it's like a match. Like I'm going to set you up with this person. You're going to like this thing and you're both going to pay for it and everyone's going to be happy and it will live on your wall forever. And I made that happen. Like I now have a place in heaven. That's what happens when you, by the way, set someone up like Jewishly Mm -hmm. and you, you're in, so so Nate like if i set you up 
I would not only mm. be invited to your wedding, but I would also <laughs> have a place, you know, in heaven. The right. thing about auction that's magical is that you don't always have control. I mean, you you can kind of control how it's placed in the catalog and where it's hung in the gallery and what the estimate is like. But at the end of the day, the market is kind of going to take that away and tell you, you know, what it's worth to some degree. Um, there's a little bit of the drama of that that I that I actually do quite like. But the matchmaking, that like love connection with the private sales, I mean, Ben, you know, like that's a very thrilling thing to be a part of that. I mean, I'm an adrenaline junkie, which I didn't totally realize until I got to the auction world. And I loved the the just the, the that deadline, the fact that there's a single date, everything has to happen mm. by then. And like, I, I love that. I mean, same as the way I was a very bad student, except for the last week of the term where I crammed it all in. Like, I just love that notion, which yeah. private sales doesn't have, but it's still the same adrenaline when you have two, two sides and you're just back and forth in phone calls and trying to make it happen and bring um, two ends of the rope together, so Look, to speak. And, and, and I really like working with teams and, you know, on the auction side, like there's a whole team, there are catalogers, there are researchers, there are art handlers. I mean, it's, it's this sort of like, you feel like you're, you know, I don't, I hated summer camp. I was homesick every day, but like, there's that kind of camaraderie. That's well, really nice. That's it. I mean, that's the analogy I was going to make as well. So I want to segue into this. There's a bonhomie in an auction house that I found. that's unlike any other professional environment I've ever had before, because it is everyone from the technicians, the art handlers, um, the catalog or the people who are in the warehouse doing all the work of figuring out what the physical thing is and helping to write the catalog essays, the administrators who are doing like, you know, all the massive amounts of paperwork, all the different specialists, specialists from around the world that might come into town for the big sales that are all there. And you just spend so much time in this pressure box. And I found the the kind of connections and friendships um, and intense rivalries, all of it was like fascinating to me and reminded me of, of, of like high school or what I imagine boarding school or summer camp is like, um, which you don't mm. have in the private sales, I guess. Um, was it hard? Was it, did you miss, you must've missed all those people and that feeling. I did. Like I actually COVID. made everyone go on a daily call, like every day at 9am, I made everyone like wow. went, 9 get on a call a bit early, and, but okay. And I think people, well, when you're not magazine six, with a six month old, it's not that early. Um, it was actually quite late in the day. And hmm. the worst though, if I could just call out is, you know, Alex Marshall, who we all know and love who, you know, living in LA refused to join my private sale. That's 6 a.m. He's not up at 6 a.m. That's not, he's he's not. I don't think he's up at 9 (laughs) a.m. And Alex is a great private seller, but he he didn't join my calls. But most, you know, (laughs) Alex Rotter, Barrett, Joanna, Anna Maria, like everyone was on my call. I mean, and sharing that, that's, that's the step up, I think, as opposed to private dealers, you know, someone like myself, or even like most galleries, is you guys have such a deep network to get on a call like that and say, yeah. hey, I was talking to so-and-so, they might exactly. sell this, so-and-so yeah. is looking for right. this, and you just, you're able to find connections that wouldn't that, that don't happen in a small organization. I think that's the value add that yeah. large auction houses had and the competitive advantage. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's just, it's we are, we are a really, really good team here. Oh, yeah. We work really whips. well together. Um, we like each other a lot. So that was, you know, it's, uh, that was pretty fun. Um, how are you mm. finding, I mean, it's a great market right now, but it's pretty hard. I mean, this is like, you read this in every boring article about the market. It's, it's hard to find good material. Mm. What are you finding that you're having to do? Are you starting to get on the plane more to go visit people and their pictures? How are you trying, how are you navigating finding a quality material, both privately and for, Look, for honestly, the problem is everybody has too much fucking money right now. I mean, yeah. it's just like people are mm. people, you know, I, I call Blame the guy. The Fed. 
I, yeah, I like called, <laughs> you know, a guy in Palm Beach, you know, who I've known for years. And he's like, I'd rather have the canvas than the cash. Like, what am I going to do with the cash and capital gains and whatever? And that's when I like try to tell oh, people that they can pay their taxes, but whatever. I know. <laughs> so, um, bring back so, the yeah, 1031. Here's, here's a, <laughs> no, don't, don't. Um, I say that as an art dealer, public policy. Look, I think people should pay taxes, but that's the socialist, you know, mm-hmm. um, liberal in me. Okay. So, <laughs> I, yeah, I get on plans. I was in Aspen last week. Um, I think the travel thing is like happening, certainly not on an international level. And there's less non-business critical travel. So like, I'm not flying to San Mm. Francisco to sit at a dinner anytime soon, but like, I'll Mm. go to look at something or pitch something. Um, And I find that, um, look, November is going to be a really hot season. Like the fall is going to be strong. There's a lot of things that are going to have to be sold. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, the, the, the market likes some kind of barometer of public, like this is what's happening and, and, and the auctions are good at doing that. So the problem is like between now and, you know, October, everybody's in, you know, the South of France or Watermill. No one knows what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. No one's responding to emails or texts. They're like, dealing with their kids and all that kind of stuff. So um, this is where I, this is where I tell everyone that winter is coming, right? Yo, I mean, oh, this, is, this is the big reveal right here. It's, here. <laughs> it's, it's always been here. I mean, we don't really have a world in which there are seasons anymore anyway. So mm. I guess. Uh, for those of you who aren't up on things, and honestly, if you don't know this, you shouldn't be listening to this podcast. But for many <laughs> oh. years now, as, as those of us were gallivanting the world, especially in the summer months, uh, uh, Sarah would often go on her Instagram <laughs> to remind us that winter was coming. And she was in the office hustling up business while those of us dilettantes were off playing. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that's always been one of her adventures. But now winter is here. Winter is always here. Winter is here. Yeah. Here. The drop has happened. Because you guys, I mean, you guys are open right now. You're you're hunting, I would presume, for consignments for November right now. It's uh, midpoint of August. Look, before November, we have, uh, you know, our post-order present sale. We have London. There's Hong Kong. I mean, there's a there's a little bit of a, you know, feed the beast mentality. No, I know. I mean, especially now with uh, and especially the way the sales um, schedule got so kind of knocked knocked awry by by COVID. It feels like there's constantly not just a minor, Mm. you know, a a mid-season sale or or something like that or interior sale. Now we're back. There's like there's like a real sale constantly. Right. Like there's never not a business. Yeah, there's a little like of a -a whack-a-mole mentality. And on the one hand, I think buyers want to get back to a regular calendar, right? They want to know like, okay, I'm going to go to Fiat and then I'm going to be back in November. Like that makes everyone's kind of like orchestrated lives tick. But if you're, if you want to sell something and it's the beginning of August, you know, November feels kind of far away actually. Mm -hmm. And there are, you know, four or five other sales between now and then where something can sell. And I think, buyers have gotten used to logging online and bidding on something in the middle of July in London or, mm-hmm. you know, in March in New York. So I, I do think you don't that, worry. You don't worry a bit that the depth of bidding isn't quite there for top. Oh, material. I totally worry about it. Of course I worry mm-hmm. about it. I mean, especially as, you know, fewer people want to sell things, then, you know, the inventory becomes stale and, you know, it's, um, you, you, you want to, you always want to try to tie the right venue to the right picture. And some of that is not specific, like a great 
you know, Warhol, Marilyn Print will perform where it does. And some of it's really specific. Yeah, it was, that was, I was going to ask, and I guess you sort of just answered it, is just about how much of you are you trying to feed the beast these days and how much you're trying to s- think strategically about when and where and how and how to build out sales, you know, what sort of key key works you need? Or is it is it okay. harder, different, or is it always hard? I think some of this business is very reactive and that's responding to what is coming up on the market, what estates are selling, Um and, and some of it is, okay, here are the 10 things that I want to see come to market because I know my clients want to buy them. How do we mm-hmm. go after those particular you know, works of art and position them between Hong Kong and New York and London? Um, and, and so it's, I'd like to say it's more of the latter, but it tends to not be. Mm-hmm. What specifically are your clients clamoring for, if you could say? It's, um, it's, 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 it's a variety. I mean, just thinking of like the names, you know, uh, the things that I, on my desk and things that people are working for, it's everything from, you know, Georgie O'Keefe to Carrie James Marshall. Mm -hmm. It's both, you know, what's, what's hot right now in contemporary art and what's undervalued in post-war American art and what Mm -hmm. are the female surrealist artists that we should be looking right. for. I mean, the sort of cool thing about this moment is that, you know, it's not just that everyone wants a Basquiat, by the way, everyone mm. does want a Basquiat, but it's, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's like, it's actually, you have, you know, a hundred years or 150 years of art history where people who would historically not be interested in, you know, a Sonia Delaney uh, suddenly like that feels like a really good opportunity, especially where so much of the, you know, hyper contemporary stuff is just, let's call it overpriced. Mm-hmm. I was, I was really interested, interested to see back in May or whenever the last kind of May New York sale was, or at least the one that I was focused on was to um, see a Matthew Barney piece back in the evening yes. sale for the first time ages. And that was something I had been let's tracking go. myself, seeing, seeing, permit, seeing day sale pieces. So do you, well, are you able to tell a little bit of a story about how you chose to put that yes, in the sale? Yes, 100%. So basically we, we decided that this idea of mashing everything together in one sale was not exactly working because it's very ha- hard to have like Toulouse-Lautrec in the same sale as Andy Warhol and tell like some kind of proper story. And look, I mean, we're not MoMA, we're not curators, we're, we're not, you know, we, we don't lay out these sales like a rehang of a museum collection, but I do feel like we pioneered this idea of the 21st century starting with the 1980s as like a sale that had to exist in its own right. And part of that is, of course, you know, the Basquiat's and the Christopher Wool's and the sort of big heavy hitters of that decade. And some of it is also a reconsideration of some of those artists that were so important, that were so crucial. I mean, we all saw the Cremaster show at the Guggenheim that like Mm -hmm. rocked the world. where maybe those markets have become less sexy or, you know, there's a little less light around them, but let's put it in the sale alongside these other artists and, and, and see it fly. You have to do that with the best. And that was really one of the best examples. And, you know, I had gone to, to the owner's apartment to look at a few other things. And I, and I was like, we should put that, you know, in the sale and um, it paid off. Yeah. I thought, I thought it was a great move. And for me, 
again, I know auction houses aren't museums, but I saw it as like a lot of younger artists. I think that the, the, the market and even not the market, just curious, very interested in are so heavily influenced by Matthew and his notion about the human mm. body and post humanity that like, it seemed like to make a lot of sense. Cause it's a name I hear a lot in a lot of younger artist studios. So I was stoked. And if you looked at the data, his, his pieces in day sales have been getting like lots of depth of bidding going well above uh, reasonable mm. estimates. And so it's it made nice. a lot of sense. It's to nice me. to see, you know, it's nice to see that. I think, I, and I think, I hope that we will see more interest. And, and I, when I say interest, I really mean stronger prices, right? Like market, you know, interest in some of the photographers of the pictures generation totally. movement because they were, are so important to image making and how images were consumed and how we think about them right now. But I don't know, Ben, like, don't you feel like everyone wants painting right now? Oil on canvas. <laughs> Unfortunately, I specialize in very awkward sculpture, which is, you know, you know, and I take that phrase from one of my first clients who was in a, a, an Italian and I always, and we bought very strange, you know, houses made of bread and, and shit like that. And right. used to be Benjamin, we just once in a while bring to me something that's oh, on canvas. Um, yeah, I mean, but I think these things are, 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 I mean, I hope and I've been told and I believe these things are cyclical. And I think, yeah. you know, those things that are harder and more challenging. You know, uh, this isn't that podcast, but there, there is a lot to be said about notions of connoisseurship and, and how mm. collections mm. are built. Um, but, you know, do you not think of me as a connoisseur or like, I know I, I know I do. Okay. I don't think of myself. Or, I mean, I do. But okay. this isn't you know, we, we keep it. We keep it light. I think that's oh, we it, keep you know. it light. Okay. Yeah, there's you like, want you know, gossip? like you want like you want dirt. I mean, well, I mean but I, no, I no, actually, but, actually, no, no, but, but hold on. But hold on. Now that I'm thinking about it, I can't let this thought go. In years past, um, you know, museum curators were very instrumental in guiding uh, new collectors um, into what they should be looking at. Uh, I think that in, in the past 10 years, 15 years even, has been handed over a little bit to art advisors, yes, uh, like myself, but also I think auction house people. I think because it is so relatively easy and the barrier to entry ideologically to, to buy at auction is, is so much lower than via the galleries. I think a lot of new collectors are, tend to begin, especially people that, that have a lot of wealth. So how do you begin to work with someone that kind of walks in, you know, bids, you know, online for the first time and spends a few hundred thousand dollars? How do you begin the conversations and turn them into like clients that you can really depend on as buyers and sellers over 30 years as, as opposed to just transactions here and there? Like your personal strategy, not like a business Christie Look, strategy. Not everyone wants to build a collection. Some mm -hmm. people just want to buy that's things fair. and hang them in Sag Harbor. And that's that's okay. Humidity is a killer out here, though. Humidity is a killer. Um, <laughs> and that's okay. I think, you know, I'm able to figure out pretty quickly who is in it for, I don't want to say the right reasons, but in it for whatever their reasons are and kind of help navigate their journey, not only at this auction house, but at other auction houses, at galleries. I mean, I think that there was, it, it used to be like everyone wanted, you know, an education. And so they would join, you know, boards of museums and they would see shows and they would walk around Chelsea for hours. I, I find a lot of the newer collectors to be, to have kind of less time than that. Yeah, no one has time yeah. anymore. They don't want an education. They just want to buy things that they like that are going to hold their value or go up in value. And, um, you know, and, and some of them are like into the scene and they want to go to stuff. And some of them, you like invite them, you know, to a 
sit at a table at a parish and they're like, why, why would I want to do why that? Why would I go to do that on a Saturday Everyone night? should go to the parish but, on Saturday night. You know, we'll get, we'll, we'll get that. We'll get that. Okay, I, I'm doing the paddle race. Unfortunately, oh, I am not oh, able to attend. You're not going. Oh, Can we talk no, about how much man. we love Kelly Taxter? She's, she's the Kelly. best. And I love she's her as a choice best. for this museum. I, I think know. it's a great time for them. Um, I know, and, me uh, too. And Annie's going to take my ticket and go in my stead. So be nice. Oh, that'll be fun. Okay, That's better course. for us um, all. But but you are. I mean, I just know you personally. Sorry, you are a connoisseur, so you may you may sell people whatever they want. Like you know, you're like free market capitalism in that route. But like, I know you really focus on certain things, and like you're also a detail oriented person. Where like, like you're someone that like condition matters. Like you know things and what their histories are. You know, you don't brook like bullshit catalog essay language when you speak about art to people. Um, mm. And do you think that comes from like? You know, do you grew up in a somewhat, I would say, academic family and that both of your parents are rabbis? Like, do you think that you're kind of like, you know, your adherence to text or your interest in, 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 in the specificity of things is maybe a familial trait or just something you picked up along the I way? I mean, my parents would love to take credit for their Talmudic <laughs> pursuits seeping their way into my capitalist agenda. Um, no, look, I, I was an art history major. I, I don't know anyone really successful in this business who doesn't love art. Cause right. I feel like if they were, they would go do something else. I mean, I know people who are not so successful who don't love art, but I think if you, you know, look, we're all in this game. We're all doing the same thing. We are consuming imagery on, on the Instagram, on the uh, walls of the museums in Gal I mean, we're doing it because we can't not do it because no other industry would have us. I mean, it's quite sad in a way. And and so then you start like, you start to like rain man the things, you know, like Matthew Barney edition numbers and why this particular cream master cycle is more important than the other. And why this, you know, two inch linear accretion on the lower left corner is not a big deal because Peter Mostardo can make it go away and like start, you know, you, you get kind of quirky and insane about things. I, I mm. and I, and I loved art history. I mean, I, was an art history major. I, it was all I ever wanted to do. And it's still all I ever want to do. So I think the problem that I'm having personally now, I, I didn't mean to go here, but I'm going to go here is like, you know, you also have to, you know, you have to live in New York and make money and people care about when they spend money how that investment, and it is an investment, whether we want it to be or not, is going to pay out. And so you suddenly mm. have a financial responsibility. As, and this, I think, is true on the secondary market, not so much on the primary market, right, Ben? Like, you can mm. sell something from, you know, Listen Gallery, and if it goes up in value, that's amazing. And if it doesn't, that's fine, too, because there's no expectation that it necessarily would. Right. Yeah, as long as you're honest from the get-go. As long as you're honest fact. from the get-go, right. I, I kind of can't do that anymore when yeah. you're playing in the deeper waters because there's more money at stake. Yeah, no, but yeah. I think, I think, you know, even on the primary market, I mean, while not legally, I think uh, ethically and morally, I am a fiduciary for the people that entrust me to tell them what to buy with their money. And you need to be very careful about how you're deploying that capital. Um, at least that they're open, they're going into things with their eyes open. Say, yeah. listen, this is a great artist. It's not that expensive. It might it might be worth zero tomorrow. It's like an, it's like a new car driving off the lot back in the day. You know, is what it is. But we like this work, and you're supporting it. And then as thing as the prices go up, I mean, it's really easy to say for forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars things for people of significant wealth. 
But, right. you know, for mid-career artists that are trading for 150, 250 primary, I mean, it becomes a much trickier um, yeah. right. uh, conversation than obviously, as you say, on the secondary market, once you get into seven figures plus, you have to be real, real careful about, you know, thinking about what things are going to be worth and why they could be worth that and thinking about, you know, uh, the history of similar objects, maybe by different artists and kind of how those careers played out. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's yeah, just no, making me think true. about current current things in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, Barney Greengrass or Rust and Daughters? I think I know your answer. I know okay, the answer. Well, I am not so secretly in love with Josh Ross. Who is so, it? Um, but Barney Greengrass is local, you know, and I'm an Upper West Sider. So I don't know. I'm kind of not really eating bagels right now. Oh, really? I mean, who who is in this day and age? I mean, I my I split. The, I had Rustin I split. for lunch on Monday. It was fantastic. Well, you're you're you know 22 and have you're the, not really shredding for the wedding here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I I like to split the baby. I say uh, for eat in Barney Greengrass, obviously, and yeah. for takeaway the counter at Rustin. Although Daughters. the Jewish right Museum, going to the Jewish Museum mm-hmm. and having some Rustin daughters is pretty nice. Yeah. It never, yeah. yeah, it never worked for me. I don't know. It's no. my local one. It's like, you know, it's 10 blocks That's from right. my so house. Cool. It's so great. I like it. It's yeah. always a bit confusing. There. Unfortunately, they have not reopened uh, since the pandemic, I believe, yeah. that location. Oh, that's you know, a bummer. I didn't know that. Yeah. You know they, what, pre-slice the, they, they pre-slice the salmon for takeaway, which like just drives me nuts. Like, I, I need to see them. Underrated. The Navy Yard, Russ and Daughters, is fantastic. It's always empty. Yeah, but then for, you have to go to Brooklyn. Yeah, I mean, I know. is the Christie's Warehouse by there, maybe? I mean, there could be a reason. <laughs> That's in Red Hook. It's, it's, it's true. They're all, they're Look, all in Red Hook. If it's not by Wovo, I, well, maybe they should open a Russ and Daughters by Wovo. Oh, God. It's not a bad idea. Fine. There's nothing to eat there. No, there isn't. There really um, isn't. Mm-hmm. So you're going to the Parish Gala, and you, are you the charity auctioneer uh, at yeah, the Saturday's a, event? They're doing a paddle raise. I actually have sort of, you know, when you have two children under five, the auctioneering circuit becomes kind of like... Mm-hmm. You know, exo- like I, I feel, I don't know. I, I feel like I was raised in an art world where 50% of my colleagues who had kids were like really invested in being around for their kids and 50% would do anything to not be with their kids. Like there's like this weird thing with all of us that have kids. Like we all kind of pretend that we don't have kids so we can like do things, but then sometimes we like use our kids to do things. I don't know. I'm, I, maybe I'm. Well, listen, I mean, I, I love traveling. I love going to every sale and every fucking fair and the opening of an mm-hmm. envelope anywhere it is. But the past two years have taught me, like, I love being home with yeah, my children Yeah, it's nice as to well. be home sometimes. I don't know. I found, I was at Amber Wave's farm, you know, that like overpriced farm in Amagansett. The hat of the season. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the hat of the season. Yeah, 100%. yeah. For $75, you two could have a hat. And I was with my daughter, Lainey, who, you know, you know, Ben and, you know, Lainey's great, except when she's not because she's five and she was having like some meltdown about the crouton and the $75 Caesar salad that I told her she wasn't going to like, and she insisted on getting and didn't like, and then Adam and Michelle Cohen like showed up with their kids. And I, I found myself like wanting to hang out with Adam and talk about the new show at Gagosian. And like, I didn't really want to have anything to do with my daughter who was like, like I find myself in those moments often. So this is all to say, and I love my children so much that I have been doing way less, fewer charity auctions at night. And, Mm -hmm. you know, COVID obviously helped me with that agenda, but um, the parish 
and Kelly, I'm very excited about. And I have a new rosy Asuline dress that's very shiny. Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. Amazing. Yeah, a little, yeah, a little fashion. <clears throat> Wonderful. Family, family friend of the so pod, for sure. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm obsessed. Um, can we all just, like, talk about how chic Eleanor Curry is and Rosie Asuline oh, yeah. are? I mean, yeah. they're just she, The chicest family. Like a chic, no, oh, yeah. She's the greatest. From, from wine to the, to the clothing to, like, just I the know, lifestyle. I mean, you've had chic people. Deal New Jersey mm-hmm. over the Hamptons? Like, incredible. Like, I know. I mean, they're like, chic. People, I mean, we both know and love Erica Samuels, who's also, you know, mm. pretty as yeah. chic as it yeah. comes. You know, there's mm. a lot of a lot of good ones. Great tennis player, as we've discussed on the pod. Oh, oh have you? <laughs> oh, she's a fantastic tennis every player. Pod. <laughs> yeah, she, <laughs> she's every week. Frightening. Um, <laughs> Uh, so that's this weekend. Um, mm-hmm. I'm getting a little bit of minor FOMO, but I've been. I wish you were coming, been, but it's yeah, really you know, you know, money over love, baby. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to see someone I haven't seen in two years who's one of my closest friends and best client. And we're going to sit together alone and have dinner. And, um, you know, well, I, I have FOMO that now. Was, that was the nice thing about being an Aspen last week. I mean, I just I hadn't seen, you know, a lot of the people I talked to are over 70 and, you know, they hadn't been out and about. And it was right. just lovely because, you know, look, are a lot of people assholes? Like, yes. Do we want to deal with all of the people we have to deal with? Absolutely no. But, you know, I feel like when you find the people who, you know, love art like you do, who want to buy it, who just, I, it's such a joy. Like, we're so mm-hmm. lucky. Yeah. The peop- I mean, the, the people that oh, that we've gotten to me, at least for me, and, I, and same with you, like the ones that we love are just incredible. The way they think to learn about their brains, how they see the world, how they see art, they're coming from a totally different perspective. I mean, I think one of the great privileges of the art world is that we these these interpersonal communications and, and conversations that happen. And for me, it sucked when it wasn't in, when it wasn't in person. It was all text and yeah. all email. Right. Like, I did not get into this game because I like video games. I got into it because I like things and people in real yeah. space. Um, and, it's, and it's where I operate best, like me in front of a painting talking to someone about it is like where i'm at my absolute pinnacle and to like not have that possibility was yeah. a bummer dark times mm-hmm. although thanks to the fed everyone had tons of money so they kept buying so i guess it was okay <laughs> but um it was still kind of a bummer because like, i really i live for that i live for standing in front of art uh yeah. what, else, well, but, what else can i say but now we're back and and in come october in london november here are we going to be in the sale room are we going to be watching auctions again is, 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 i is really hope so i really hope so i mean you know I, i'm sitting here and rock center and you know there are people in the office there are people you know messing up my bookshelves there are you know mm-hmm. assistants doing stuff and right. catalogers in the warehouse and sandra mon is coming into condition paintings like it's wow. happening um i have i have a kind of doom and gloom mentality in general mm-hmm. and i think the delta is no joke and i think we can't kind of pretend that we're going to live in a world where there aren't pandemics anymore. I think we're going to live in a world where there are pandemics. And yes. I think, you know, the, the, the nice thing is even last July, when we did our Hong Kong, New York, London, Paris, mm-hmm. like big extravaganza sale, you know, people still came to rock center to look at the right. art. Mm-hmm. And I think that there are always going to be the looky loos who want to be in the room present company, you know, not excluded. At least Ben bids on stuff. Nate just like stays. Hey, if I had money, if I someone trusted me, I mean, money, they're always underbids, but underbidders are just as important as winners. I love an under. Listen, the underbidders are the best because not only have they helped you achieve a certain price, but they are down to buy the next day. 
Like oh, you yeah. always oh, yeah. call the underbidder. Oh. It used to be you called the guy or the girl who like bought the thing. Next next day, now you better you be you better, underbidder. You better be sending that text that evening oh, if, yeah. if you, you if like you this? have the property that fills it in. Yeah, you if you want to close that deal. Yep. Yeah. Um, although I I find actually it 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 doesn't usually work with the same thing. Like the moment has passed well, no. or moved on or but, but especially especially thing. if you especially if you when you were a hungry young specialist at least for me like that was like you know let's let's do some let's go let's go right yeah um um have you ever you did you have you ever taken the gavel in a sale like a did you do day sales or anything so it's a bit uh, you know in in the gender parity world in which we all live in having more female auctioneers is a big agenda i think rightfully so corporately mm-hmm. and um you know, I, I think I'm very funny. <laughs> and so doing charity auctioneering is fun for me because I just sort of pretend that it's stand-up comedy and I'm good at getting people You're to spend money. You're very good at it. You're the very, I've seen you with, times. Yeah. The problem with like the regular auctions is like, people don't want you to be funny. They want you to like get the increments, right? And the math, the fucking and math. The math. Yeah. Oh, God. So, I did the I did the training. I love the charismatic part. The sure. like the like trying to figure out how global guarantee works. Like just was not going to be something I was ever going to do. I, I think also that I can do. I, I but I do think that you know part of being an auctioneer at Christie's is also taking other sales outside your department. And mm. I don't know that like doing the silver sale is the most efficient use of my time. But can we talk about uh, how cool it is in an auction house, especially one as as broad as Christie's, to have access to all these amazing people the way that you and I and Nate are oh. dorks for pictures or dorks about silver oh. or design or whatever it is. I just, saw, really I just cool. saw John Hayes walk by and he's like the head of our American furniture department and oh, right. it's, uh, and the outsider art department sits under him uh. and and I'm not interested in jewelry but it's pretty fun to go up there and hang out in the vault mm-hmm. and you know the um the prints and multiples guys and girls are mm-hmm. amazing. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the expertise, the passionate expertise is quite rich over here. So cool. Yeah. Um, mm. All right. That's all I have. Um, I mean, I have so much more. I could talk to you forever. It's an easy conversation because um, you're a fucking hero of the art world, but we hope to have you back. Maybe if not in the head of the November sales, because pretty soon, but maybe in advance of the May sales and you can preview Cheek. what you guys have. Let's all pray Sarah. that the market is still frothy at that point. I think it'll be frothy forever. All right. That's Nate, it for us. Tov to you on the Thank new you, gig. The Thank new, you. are you going to be in the times wedding section? Is that a goal for you? I have to check with my publicist about that. How can you not? <laughs> check I mean, with this Anna. Is, this is like a power. Me, listen, if you need a plus one to the netball, take Ben's wife. She's the best. <laughs> oh, you're awesome. She loves you as well. All right. That's it. Note right. to Ben.